Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. We're going to be carrying on with our sermon series today, A Profile of Passion. And so, so far we've been looking at our relationship with God as a romance. Uh, we've looked at having a passion for the Word having a passion for the church last week. And what I think today is teaching, I want to ask you a question. When I use that word passion, what comes to mind for you? Is it, first of all, is it negative, neutral, or positive? Feels positive, right? Now, when I use that word passionate, are there, are there any particular biblical characters that come to mind? Who, who, who pops into your mind first? David. David. Peter, okay. John the Baptist. Someone said Jesus. That's always the right answer, right? (laughs) You know, what's interesting is that Scripture never describes Jesus or Peter or David. Oh, maybe Peter, actually. I didn't look into that one. Um, But it doesn't describe Jesus as passionate. It doesn't describe David as passionate. Um, and you say, well, Ian, why are you doing this series then? (laughs) And that's a good question. Well, it's because what we tend to mean by passion, the Bible calls zeal. And what we tend to look at as zeal, the Bible would often call passion. And the key, there's a key difference that we're going to get into today. And I, I, my, my heart is kind of I'm a little bit nervous delivering this to you this morning because I believe I've got a word from the Lord, but it's, it's, it's a little bit hard. And um, so today I'm, I'm, I'm a messenger, okay? I feel I've got something to deliver to you guys. And the problem with being a messenger is sometimes you get shot. <laughs> but here's the thing, okay. There's a difference between passion and zeal, and I believe that there's all sorts of fleshly passion masquerading as godly zeal in the church today, and it's profaning the house of God. (laughs) So as we're... (laughs) I will, Rex, don't worry. So as we get into our passage today, this is what we're going to see. We're going to see Jesus was not passionate. Rather, he was zealous. So the title today is Don't Call Me Passionate, all right? That's our title, and that's my plea, okay? So I just want to pray as we start. Father God, we pray that your word that is eternal would come forth, Lord, that it would go forth as seed and that it would be received into good soil and that it would bear fruit in our lives in keeping with righteousness. So Lord, I pray that any words that are not part of that seed, they would fall away, or they would bear no fruit. (laughs) But your seed, Lord, may it take root in our hearts, and may it grow and produce a hundredfold. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's turn to John chapter 2. We're going to read John chapter 2, verses 13 to 22, and in the gospel of John, this is describing the cleansing of the temple. And this is an episode in the ministry of Jesus that's described in all four Gospels. Not all the things are. This one is. And in in John's Gospel, this this, this occurs right at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is his very first public act. That's important. 
So let's read, starting from verse 13. It says, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, or doves, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And I like the King James translation that says, zeal for your house hath eaten me up. And that's a quote from Psalm 69. Those are the words of, of King David. Verse 18, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us in doing these things? Basically, by what right? Who gave you the authority to do such a thing? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. You'll raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the word of the Lord. So we see Jesus here in this moment of consuming zeal. It's a violent zeal. And you may read this, and it, it, in some ways it feels a little bit out of character. Right? This is Jesus, the Lamb of God, the, the, the man of compassion, the man who turned the other cheek, who told Peter to put away his sword, and he, he's, he's whipping a whole marketplace into submission. And a lot of times when, when, when people fly off the hook, they say, you know, wow, I just got really passionate. You know, I'm really passionate about this, so I can't control what I say. And a lot of times... People feel very passionate about certain things in the church, and they get angry, and they fly off the hook, and they leave, and sometimes we can, we can look at this and say, well, Jesus got passionate. Look what he did, you know? And the thing is, it's totally wrong to say that Jesus was filled with passion. He was consumed with zeal. So what's the difference? Our first slide says, passion is me-centered, whereas zeal is God-centered. It's not to say that passion is always wrong, but that's the essential difference, okay? Now, if you look up passion and zeal in the dictionary, you're going to find that they're listed as synonyms, all right? Basically, they're both defined as intense feelings that cause you to behave a certain way. Now, as you look around at our culture, I think we live in a time of very intense feelings that are certainly causing people to behave in certain ways. <laughs> And one of the things that it's causing is it's causing many people to abandon their church, to abandon his church. Some people are leaving for another local church. Some people are leaving church altogether, especially people in my generation and younger. And so, you know, the connecting music was, should I stay or should I go? <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, a lot of people loved that choice. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek thing because, honestly, that's the question I'm hearing more than ever, it feels like, before. Should I stay or should I go, you know? Um, 
That's the place that many people are in, and, and maybe many of you might be in. You may not have shared that with anybody else. Maybe you're asking that question. And some of us might be experiencing intense feelings about the church, about the leadership, about your own faith. And you begin to ask, should I stay or should I go? Now, I want to be, just at the outset here, I want to be a very extremely clear. I am not saying that there's never a good reason to move churches or leave churches. There very much are good reasons to do those things at times, all right? There's many different reasons, okay? And so this, don't take this as a blanket, you know, statement, a blanket judgment about, uh, you know, finding a church that is, 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 you know, where you can fit and where you can find home because that's a good thing and we need to do that. But what I am talking about here is that as we experience these feelings, it's more important than ever to recognize the difference between passion and zeal. Because the reason is they look very similar on the surface. But they lead actually to very different things because they're pointing in different directions. That's, and if you mistake one for the other, it can actually end up shipwrecking your faith. And so that's, that's the heaviness that I carry in my heart today as I bring this to you. Because I'm watching friends. I'm watching colleagues. I'm watching, you know, well-known Christian leaders where intensity of feelings and passion is leading them to abandon the church. And so, okay, what's the difference between passion and zeal? All right, you've got that up there, but I want to ask, why is it, you know, I asked you at the start, is passion, does that sound like a positive thing? And, and, and it's true. Passion in our context, in our culture, passion is positive, zeal is negative. All right? Everyone wants to be known as a passionate person. No one wants to be known as a zealot. Right? <laughs> now, in the time of Jesus, it's interesting because that, that was completely flipped. In the time of Jesus, no one would have wanted to be called passionate. A lot of people would have wanted to be known as, as zealous. Now, the Greeks, they thought of passion as intense emotion that overtakes your reason. And so they saw it as something that leads you to do things that you know better than to do. It's, it was basically seen as a form of madness because you do crazy things. And in Scripture, this is the meaning of passion that we see. Um, the Greek word was pathos, and there was other ones, but passion is always linked to the passions of the flesh. All right? Uh, leading to destructive things. So Ephesians, there's many examples, but Ephesians 2, 3, it says, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. And so that's the scriptural picture of, of passion. But zeal, on the other hand, in scripture, is linked to righteousness. In Numbers, Phineas is is zealous for God, and it, it, was, it said it was counted to him as righteousness. Elijah was zealous for destroying idols in Israel. David was zealous for the worship of God and for the tabernacle. And so these are people that were completely centered on one thing only, which is the holiness of God. One thing, the undivided worship of God. And God is described as a consuming fire. And so when you consume a zeal, it consumes you. It eats you up. And so we have to ask, 
what was it that provoked this violent zeal that we see in Jesus cleansing the temple? So he comes to the temple, as he did regularly, as a faithful Jew, uh, at Passover, and he goes, he enters into the first court. Now, the, the, uh, the, the, um, the temple had several courts, and the outermost court was called the Court of the Gentiles. All right? This is the only area that non-Jews uh, could enter into in the temple complex. All right? And he finds that the Court of the Gentiles has become a marketplace. Hundreds of thousands of people would come to Jerusalem every year for the Passover, and they would come from all over the, the diaspora, the, the, you know, the spread out people of, of, um, of Israel. Um, and so, of course, as you're traveling from far away, you know, oxen and sheep don't fit in your carry-on luggage. So you have to buy them there. So naturally, someone spotted a business opportunity, you know, and um, why don't we provide uh, 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 for this demand and sell them right at the temple. What could be more convenient? What could be more helpful? Right? And then also people came and they had to give an offering of half a shekel at the temple, and they came with their foreign currencies and they had to exchange them. Um, and so, what's wrong with that? <laughs> and the answer is nothing, really. These are not bad things. These are actually, from one perspective, you can see these are good and helpful things. Right? It was convenient. The problem was not with the buying and the selling. It was the fact that these things were beginning to compete with the worship of God. They were good things that had drifted to the center and become idols. And so what happened was that religious marketplace was effectively excluding people from the worship of God. Why? Because that, the court of the Gentiles, that's the only place that non-Jewish people could enter to worship God. There were a lot of God-fearing non-Jewish people. That was the only place that they could go to worship God, and yet they step in there and all they can hear is, you know, haggling over the price of an ox, the bleeding of sheep. But the Jews, they could buy their stuff and go into the tranquil inner court and offer their sacrifices. And so you see, you, you've, got, you've got commercialism, Drifting into the center. The expediency, the convenience, the comfort. But you also have this, this, um, this uh, insular mindset begun, beginning to drift in, and it begins excluding people from being able to actually worship. People who are on the fringes anyway are pushed further to the fringes. And so what you see is things that probably started out as good and helpful and convenient slowly drifted into becoming a barrier to the worship of the true God. That's the way temptation works. It's not, you know, I I feel like I say this all the time, but (laughs) it's not about the obvious things, like sex and drugs, you know. Those are, we know that those are bad, all right? (laughs) When the devil went and tempted Jesus, he didn't say, hey, Jesus, take a hit of this crack pipe. You know? He didn't say, hey, Jesus, you know, I know a good place in the red light district. Right? He tempted him with things like bread. (laughs) Bread? You know? Um, He tempted him with recognition. He tempted him with safety. 
right? And so those aren't bad things. And the reason that they become tempting is because they, they go under our guard because they're not bad things. They're good things. But when our emotions are strong, we suddenly become tempted to sacrifice to those things. And when you sacrifice to something, it becomes an idol. Good things become ultimate things. And so that's what passion does. Passion is what leads Esau to sell his birthright for a bowl of soup. Is Jesus going to sell his, his identity for a piece of bread? That's the, the, the process that leads someone to abandon their marriage vows in a moment of intense feeling and passion. You know, most often it's not just about sex. It's more often, oh, you know, he just, he, he really listened to me. My husband never listens to me. He really listened to me. He made me feel valued. You know, or, you know, she made me feel like a man. My wife just never respects me. She made me feel like a man. And so what are those things? That's recognition. That's safety. It's not, sex is the surface thing, right? It started, you know, and Jesus talks about that in the Sermon on the Mount. It starts way before the, the consummation of the act, right? And so what happens is we're tempted by good things, and in the, in the moment of the madness of passion, we can make decisions that begin to unravel our whole life. But here's what zeal looks like. That's what passion looks like. Here's what zeal looks like. And maybe the best description, I heard this um, uh, recently, the best description I, I've probably heard is from Charlotte Bronte's novel, Jane Eyre. Anyone read Jane Eyre? Okay. Now, uh, <laughs> I have to make a confession because... This is one of the books I had to study in high school for my final exams. And, uh, you know, I, I, I started reading it. And then um, I wasn't much of a reader in high school. And so I never actually finished it. I watched the movie. <laughs> and, you know, this is why they say youth is wasted on the young, because, you know, I missed, I missed this great passage. Um, but let me summarize it for those of you who haven't read this, this story. Jane is uh, in love with Mr. Rochester, who is a good, kind, you know, wealthy English gentleman. Um, you know, he's, he's Colin Firth. And, uh, and she's plain Jane, all right? This pro it's probably the origin of that phrase, plain Jane. Um, and so she's very unlikely to ever meet and, and, and get the interest of another person like this. Um, but here's the spoiler alert. Uh, she finds out that he's married. Actually, his wife is mentally ill. She's locked up in the attic, but he's married, all right? And there comes this moment of decision where he comes and he asks her, you know, who cares if I'm married? Commit yourself to me. Give yourself to me. And he truly loves her. And so she's faced with this dilemma. And here's what she says. Feeling clamored wildly. Oh, comply, it said. Soothe him, save him, love him, tell him you love him, and we'll be his. Who in the world cares for you? Or who will be injured by what you do? Still indomitable was the reply, I care for myself. The more solitary, the more friendless, the more unsustained I am, the more I will respect myself. I will keep the law given by God sanctioned by man. 
I will hold to the principles received by me when I was sane and not mad as I am now. Laws and principles are not for the times when there is no temptation. They are for such moments as this, when body and soul rise in mutiny against their rigor. If at my convenience I might break them, what would be their worth? They have a worth. So I have always believed. And if I cannot believe it now, it is because I am quite insane. Quite insane. With my veins running fire and my heart beating faster than I can count its throbs. That is zeal. I love that description. And, and huh, what you see when you compare these two, it's, it's not that the meaning of zeal and passion have really changed, because when you look further into the dictionary, it talks about this difference. But it, it's not that zeal and passion have changed meaning. It's that our moral foundations have changed meaning. Because we live in a moment where passion reigns supreme. We've elevated our feelings to the level of moral truth. And so what happens is, if I begin to feel something very passionately, I make the conclusion, that thing must be right. That must be the right thing to do. If I feel it strongly, it is true and right. And to, uh, to go against my strongly held emotions is a betrayal of myself. You see, passion in Jane's head was arguing this. It says, give in. You deserve it. No one else is going to love you. Love yourself. Who cares what the rules say? This is love. Right? And that's how passionate feelings begin to trump commitment to promises, to vows, to family, to church, to God. So here's where you really get down to it. In the moment of truth, passion will make you abandon your principles. Zeal will make you stand for your principles. Passion will make you abandon the bigger picture for the sake of the moment. But zeal will make you withstand the moment for the sake of the bigger picture. And so what we, see, what we see in the zeal of Jesus, I'm going to state this very directly, is this. The temple is not about you. Or me. Okay? It's a collective you. The temple is not about you. This is what the African church father, St. Augustine, said, uh, preaching in the 5th century about this text. He could have written this yesterday. He says, who are the ones selling oxen? Who are the ones selling sheep and doves? They are the ones who are looking to their own interests in the church, not those of Jesus Christ. They treat, listen to this, they treat everything as being up for sale because they do not want to be redeemed. So, I want you guys to get my heart on this, okay? But, but here's why I internally cringe when I hear things like, you know, I'm not just, I'm just not being fed. I'm not being fed. Or, you know, my gifts just aren't being recognized. Or, you know, I'm just not cared for enough. <laughs> I'm going to repeat this, okay? Listen very closely to me because I, these are intense emotions. They are legitimate emotions, all right? 
They must be attended to. They should not be ignored. They should not be swept under the rug. You have to talk about them. The church should care about them, should attend to them. This is why we have, you know, deacons and pastors and, you know, ministers, all right? They're valid feelings, and they're focused on good things because why? The church is the place where you should come to eat true spiritual food, all right? It is the place where you, see, where you should see your gifts come to life. It is the place where you should receive comfort from the Holy Spirit through his people. But my, what I fear is that in the intensity of those feelings, you begin to tempt yourself to separate from the church. And you begin to mistake those passions for godly zeal in the process. All right? In other words, because of this intense feeling, this experience, all of a sudden my membership in the church is up for sale. Again, there's good reasons to leave churches. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about here, okay? There may be good reasons to leave this church at some times, <laughs> okay? No, I'm not even saying that, all right? <laughs> I'm not judging those who may have felt that they needed to leave for some reason, all right? That's, that's not where this is coming from at all. What I am pleading for, though, brothers and sisters, what I'm pleading for is for us to reject a me-centered passion that can lead us to reject our community of faith on a whim. You know, Dan Backens, who's the leader of our network, he said it at the conference. He's like, you know, people are members of, of YMCAs. You, you know, if you go into the YMCA and you don't like the playlist that week, you don't, you don't leave your YMCA, right? Yeah, we leave the church over music, right? And, and, and so, <sighs> there's a very consumerist mentality, which I believe is the very thing that Jesus was railing against in the cleansing of the temple, the temple. And, and here's, here, here's my heart here, guys, that Jesus' zeal for God's house did not lead him to abandon the house, but to refine it. All right? And so my plea is don't play light and fast with God's house, the house where you're rooted, the house where you're a member. And so what this passage, I think, is affirming is this, that Jesus is the true temple. Jesus is the true temple. All right, in verses 13 to 17, the temple uh, is mentioned twice, and it uses the word hieron, okay? But then there's a turn, because when the Jews challenge Jesus and they ask him for his credentials, Jesus says uh, the sign will appear when they destroy this temple, and he rebuilds it in three days. But here's the thing. He changes the word for temple. He doesn't use the word hieron. He uses the word naos. And naos was the word that typically referred to the sanctuary, it referred to the, 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 um, the, the dwelling place of God proper rather than just the whole complex. And so John tells us that he was speaking of the temple of his own body. In other words, Jesus is saying the dwelling place of God, which is the temple, that's what a temple does, the place where heaven meets earth, is found in a human body, which is the body of Christ. Jesus is the temple. You know what's cool? Jesus is everything in the temple, too. Jesus is the tabernacle. Jesus is the better priest. 
whose, whose uh, priestly term never comes to an end. He's the better bread, the true bread from heaven. He's the altar. He's the sacrifice. He's the lamb. He's the light. <laughs> Everything in the temple points to Jesus. And so when we say we're not being fed, well, Jesus is what we feed on. Jesus is who we receive our gifts from. Jesus is the one that we honor and, the, and whom we receive honor from. Jesus is, it's, it's his spirit that we receive comfort from. And so this is all about him. The whole Bible is about him. Every single page is about him. He is the treasure hidden in the field. He is the pearl of great price. He is the joy of man's desiring, as Handel put it. Or it was Bach, I don't know, someone. <laughs> he is the joy that you are desiring. He is the one. And so his violent zeal is for you to be able to worship him with no barrier. To know him, to enjoy him. And so, and so I put out this question. If you're, are you angered by witnessing, you know, drift in the church? Are you stirred up by things that you see excluding people from being able to worship? Are you angered by seeing obstacles being put in people's way and they can't get to God because of that obstacle? Well, good, you should be. <laughs> God is fired up about that. That's what Jesus got fired up about. And so we should all feel a stirring of zeal as we see those things. Not become defensive, not become, you know, all of those things. And I say that as a leader because that can be the first response. It's like, well, you know, if you don't like it, get out. You know, it's like, no, <laughs> we're not immune to this. We, too, need continual refining because good things have the tendency to drift to the center and begin to compete with the only one who is truly good. And what happens is we begin to exclude people without even thinking about it. So, my God, have mercy on us. But we can allow convenience, we can allow comfort and safety to begin to distract from true worship just as much as anyone else. And so... How do, we, how do we avoid that? Well, it's keeping our eyes on the true temple. It's only by keeping our eyes on the true temple that we can recognize what is false. And as long as our eyes are trained on the, you know, the imperfect temple before us, we can't see the true temple. We can't see where he is. And so, as we experience these things, there comes a moment of testing whether this is a fleshly passion or whether this is a, whether this is a godly zeal. Is this a fleshly passion? Is this, a, is this just my stung pride? Or is this zeal for the honor of God? Is this zeal for, for God's people to be able to worship him in spirit and in truth? Does your feeling, and, and one of the tests, I think, is huh, does this feeling lead me to want to separate myself from the church, or does it lead me with, with, a, with a hunger to refine the church? I've, I've experienced both of those, guys, all right? There's been moments. <laughs> Psalm 16, God was really speaking to me through Psalm 16, and, and um, verse 2 of Psalm 16 says, uh, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. And I remember reading that and thinking, man, my delight's not in the saints. You know, 
was at a particular moment where I was like, God, I don't know if I can do this anymore. People are so annoying. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> and, and I think I've said this before, but God told me, this is what he said to me. He said, Ian, it's time to start loving my church for who she is, how she is. And that, you know, like, this is before I came here, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Does your feeling, that intense feeling, you know, notice which way is it pointing you? Is it pointing you away to, to, to separate yourself, to abandon, to reject, or is it leading you towards, God, use me to refine this church, all right? It's by looking to him by keeping our eyes on the true temple, that's how we can get true zeal. Only by our undivided devotion to him. Because by looking at him, we can be able to recognize what's authentic, what's false. And by looking to him, we begin to love the things that he loved. And so by valuing Jesus, by honoring Jesus, we recognize he gave himself for the church. He, he died to make the church his people. And so his heart is burning for you. He's refining his church so that there would be no obstacle between him and his church. So that the bride would be presented perfect and spotless. We're going to talk about the bride next week. But, all right. Here's the other, the other side, the flip side to that coin is this. Zeal for Jesus is zeal for his body. Jesus says that the temple, he, his body is the true temple. Well, the book of Ephesians says that the church is the body of Christ. The fullness of him who fills all in all. And so here's the problem when we begin to think, well, I love the church, but I just, sorry, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. And I get where that comes from. I do. A lot of hurt has been caused to people within the church. So I get where that comes from. But here's, here, here's the, the irony there is that how can you love somebody and despise their body? Don't minimize pain. Don't sweep it under the carpet. We have to drive it out. We have to call it out. But here's the thing. Don't mistake fleshly passion for godly zeal. Zeal will be angered by evil in the church because it loves the church. And it will care so much that it will speak up even if it's costly. So here's the thing. Jesus didn't see all this happening and then go grumble to his disciples, right? He did it publicly. That was at great cost to him. This is what came up at his trial, remember. You said this, Jesus. This is, you know, this, so it's part of what put him on the cross. And so... Um, Zeal will make us care so much that we'll, we'll speak up even if it's costly, and we'll speak up because it's about God's glory, not ours. We'll speak up because it's about his people's ability to worship him. And so don't let the fire of your emotions lead to abandoning his body, even his local body. Let them lead you to the one who is the true temple, who gave himself to purchase a people who's continually refining them so that they'll be conformed to his image. So I want, to end, I want to end with the words of St. Augustine. And he's preaching 1,500 years ago, and he says this. This is, this is my, my plea and my prayer for us. He says, brothers and sisters, may every Christian among the members of Christ be consumed with zeal 
for the house of God. Who is the one consumed with zeal for the house of God? He says, the one who seeks to correct all things he may see as evil there, who longs to have them changed, who does not keep quiet about them. If he cannot correct them, he bears with them. He groans over them. So then, may zeal for the house of God consume you. May zeal for the house of God consume each Christian in the house of God where he is a member. For no house is more yours than the house in which you have received eternal salvation. And he ends saying this. He says, do whatever you can, and you will fulfill the scripture. Zeal for your house has consumed me. Would you stand with me and, and, and pray as we close? Thank you for listening to the NC4 podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.